Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's off-track betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. For the ones finding new ways to ensure the job always gets done. For the ones wearing many hats. For the ones who are hands-on, even from far away. And the ones keeping business moving forward. We are Granger. Offering professional-grade industrial supplies, plus real-time product availability and access to experts ready to answer your toughest questions. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Greetings, one and all, and welcome to Moments That Rock, a proud member of the Pantheon Group of Podcasts. I'm your host, Tony Mike Leadis. I spent three decades working in the music industry, running my own PR company and working as a publicist. For U2, The Police, Depeche Mode, David Bowie, New Order, Peter Gabriel, Genesis, blah, 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 blah. If you want to know more, feel free to visit my website at www.tonymikeleadis.com. Each week, we'll strive to bring you a cornucopia of musical delights, all based around storytelling. There's archive interviews from back in my radio days with the likes of the Ramones, Steve Winwood, the Cramps, U2, etc, etc. We also have some great stories from some industry insiders. Right, intro done, on with the show. There's a whole bunch of rock stars who work behind the scenes and they have some great stories. Insider Insights takes you inside their world for their stories and their rock star moments. When the decision was made to produce this podcast, I thought along with the archive interviews, wouldn't it be great to have some industry veterans telling their stories and share some of their experiences through a long time in a great period in the music industry? Personally, I found that these stories would be both entertaining, educational and inspirational and appeal to musicians and fans alike. Today's guest is Paul Conroy, a gent I've known since 1978 when I worked with him at Stiff Records. He'll tell you chronologically his guide through his career. Paul ran Virgin Records through the 90s, making them the most successful record label around. 
So, without further ado, we'll hand it over to Paul Conroy to tell you his story and his stories on the way back then. Well, my name is Paul Conroy, um, and yes, I started in showbiz way back in about 1970. Um, it all started for me when I went to Yule Tech in Surrey to do my A-levels, and I was virtually thrown out of my school because I didn't get into the sixth form, so they didn't really want me back for the, to, to do them in, in those days. And when I went to Yule Tech, I got involved as the social secretary, which was then the guy who used to put on the dances at the college. And when I first got there, it was like people like Alan Elston's jazz band. Um, but I was lucky. I became the social sec. I don't think anybody else wanted the job from the students' union. And um, my first act that I, that I brought to the college was The Nice with Elmer Gantry's Velvet Opera. Uh, the second gig was this band called, well, we went for the New Yardbirds. And um, uh, the day before they would arrive, the Friday before I was rung, so they'd changed their name to Led Zeppelin. So <laughs> I, I had Led Zeppelin for £175 at Yule. Nick Page came down because actually he'd gone to school in Yule. His mother was a dental technician in... Um, a dental receptionist in Yule, and his first band that he played in after he'd been to Yule Castle School was um, a sort of a, a skiffle group with Jeff Beck. Um, so I can remember him sitting in the dressing room reading his Asimov novel. Anyway, enough of that. Anyway, to cut a long story short, I got um, asked to become an agent with a, a company called Terry King Associates. And I started with them after a brief stint of teachers training college in 1970. And that was my first intro into, into the music business. So I was lucky because I have, I, over my years, I've been an agent, a manager, and a record company executive. So I've seen all sides of uh, working with musicians and artists, I suppose. I started as an agent and I got to the gig on the first day, uh, the grand summer, I was getting 17 pounds a week in those days. And I was booking out the fortunes, the foundations. And the band that really brought me into the music business was uh, Caravan, who I loved. And I became very friendly with, and I wanted to make them, make them stars. Um, and, um, I worked with, with them, and also there was this band called Genesis, who I was the agent for, Van Graaff Generator, and Lindisfarne. So I went from Terry King Associates, where I worked for a couple of years, to work with Charisma and Charisma Records. Tony Stratton Smith asked me to set up um, an agency, um, on which we call Charisma Artists, and we took all the, the acts from uh, Terry King, and um, myself and a young man called Nigel Kerr, um, we, we ran Charisma Artists. And it was there, um, and, and around that time where I got very friendly with Genesis as well. I used to tour Europe with them, with Van de Graaff Generator, and um, I built Linda's Farm from 15 pounds a night and supporting at the marquee to them. To the, when I'd left the agency, they were, they were sort of very high up on the bill at the Crystal Palace Bowl and getting £30,000, which was a lot of money in those days. Um, from Charisma Artists, um, 
I, I, I got involved with a number of acts, uh, starting with Chili Willy and Red Hot Peppers. And um, it was there I met a, a guy called Andrew Jakeman, Jake Riviera. And I then got involved with Kilburn and the High Roads, and they came on the agency roster with, with Chili Willy. And I suppose I got involved with most of the, what in those days were called pub rock acts. And I um, uh, worked with them. And then I, uh, one day I was invited to go down to the Kensington pub in Kensington uh, to see this band called the Curls of Flyers. I then went on to manage them. Um, we had a number of reasonable size hits. We toured Europe with the Flying Burrito Brothers and we did a two-hour documentary on BBC Two, which was a lot of fun. Um, and then I remember putting myself in a washing machine, which anybody knows anything about the Curls and Flies, at Royal Holloway College, having just come off stage dressed in Baco foil and things. And that was my last night with the Curls, because I just thought, I can't do any more. And um, I got in this spin dryer at the college, went home, and that was it. And then really? a few days later, I get a call from Jake. And Jake told me he was working with Dave Robinson. They just started Stiff Records. And they wanted someone, um, uh, I think the word was M-U-G, mug. No, it was someone <laughs> uh, who, to come in and be the general manager of Stiff, to basically organize it. Uh, within the chaos that Dave and Jake were going to create. They put out a couple of singles by that point. I knew all the artists because I knew Nick Lowe and I knew the Damned and I knew various people. Now, I always had a lot of respect for Jake because uh, I loved his marketing skills um, and him and I worked really well together. We promoted gigs in London as well as having a lot of fun with Chilly Willy when he was managing them. Anyway, um, it was Dave Robinson I was a little bit more uh, uh, reticent about because Dave, I'd known Dave for many years uh, when he was running the Hope and Anchor pub. And um, I, I always thought of Dave as more like a lovable rogue. And, uh, but it was Jake who brought me into Stiff. That was the main reason. And I had seven very happy years there. I went from Stiff where I was general manager and by the time I had left, we had massive success with, with the injury and Elvis Costello and Madness and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and uh, I went from Stiff, I was offered a job um, working at Warner Brothers, WEA as it was then, as a marketing director. And I went to Warner Brothers and I worked with all the Warner's acts for probably another seven years as well, before I was then poached and I went off to run, run Chrysalis Records. And then from Chrysalis Records, I, had, I was poached again to go and um, run Virgin, which I ran for 10 years. And luckily we had the most successful period Virgin's ever had. And we were the number one label in the UK for a considerable number of years. And uh, I suppose I will go to my grave with the man who introduced the Spice Girls to the company. So uh, they went on to sell millions of records, as we all know. So uh, that's me. Oh, and I suppose, yeah, no, let's not forget, after I left um, Virgin, which would have been about 2002, um, I managed to sign uh, 
Uh, I had my own little label, uh, which I had Christine McVie on the label, a little rapper called Verbalicious and Chris Difford from Squeeze. And we also signed um, Gary Jules and we had the single Mad World, which went number one all over the world. And um, we sold nearly a million copies in the UK alone. So that was something we did on our, on our own, my wife and I. So, uh, and now I am semi-retired and uh, doing uh, recorded uh, interviews for um, uh, a certain ex-friend of mine from Manchester. <laughs> now in Florida. <laughs> yeah. you, I mean, you were talking then about adventures of music at the end, weren't you? Yeah. Um, so why after a number one record, do you, do you call it a day or did you continue for a good few years after that and then just think, well, it's not like it was? No, well, the problem with adventure was, uh, I, I, it took me a long time to come up with the name that I wanted and I really liked adventure, and which has now, funnily enough, been used all over the place and things. And uh, um, But... I was, I suppose, in my late 50s by then, and people were not so willing to back people with record companies. If you, if you music publisher or something like that, they thought they had something tangible they could hang on to. I think there was an element of me as well, not really have, wanting to invest the last amounts of my you know, pension, which I probably would have done if I'd been 27 and around the days of Stiff Records. And um, I, people maybe didn't want to take a chance on me in those days. It's a shame because I think we could have been a label which could have been uh, a modern day uh, label which would have uh, encompassed a number of different musical styles, which is what I always enjoyed labels because when I was at Virgin, I could work with someone from Michael Nyman to uh, Dread Zone, you know, or, Massive attack to meatloaf. You, uh, I had, I had. It was a very wide roster with, um, and that's what I've always liked. I mean, that's why I like going back in time. Worked at Charisma as well, where I've, I've been, I, you know, I one of the greatest lunches I ever had was going out with Tony Stratton Smith and Sir John Betjeman to try and get Sir John Betjeman to go out on the road with the Barrow Poets. I mean, it never happened, but. Uh, to go out with someone like that just for a lunch was for a young agent as I was in those days was remarkable. You've been listening to Paul Conroy and hearing about his fabulous exploits over a considerable time in the music industry. And part two of that will be in the coming weeks. Way Back Then is part of Moments That Rock where we dig deep into the archives, dust them down and deliver them. More archive interviews next week. Welcome to the bit where we plunder the archives and dig deep and find interviews from way back then. Today's Way Back Then, a part of Moments That Rock podcast, is the second part of Steve Winwood, an interview that I did with Steve Winwood back in mid-80s around the release of his first album for Virgin Records, which was Roll With It. So without further ado, let us roll with it. Steve Winwood. The last time I saw you playing live was probably, what, 1983, around Talking Back to the Night. Um, and you look to me, a man who was, all right, you come to terms with entertainment bit, but when I went to the concert to see you, I, I did expect, in a way, the fact that, you know, you're, you're reputed to be, like, a fairly introvert 
character on stage and things. I expected, in a way, to be hid behind keyboards. You were up front playing guitar and even singing without anything in front of you. You were enjoying yourself then, weren't you? Yeah. Um, yeah, in fact, uh, and I did that on, on the last tour as well. Uh, and in fact, I actually... Uh, yeah, uh, you know, and I kind of tried to work very much at, you know, I worked with people about, you know, doing stage moves, just as, you know, people like who who are naturals at that, just like maybe Madonna, for instance, who's in, probably a natural at stage moves, would work with someone, you know, on the production, you know what I mean? It's, uh, and I, I'm probably the opposite, but I, mean, I did work with a couple of people on that. And, uh, and in fact, uh, after I toured on, on the last tour in, uh, 86, um, when I toured America, in fact, I, I had a certain amount of criticism because people said, well, no, we like to see you, you should sit behind the keyboards a bit more. And, you know, so, I think I'm going to, I might do a bit more of that, do, try and do a bit more playing on this next tour. You would include guitar in that, because a lot of people want to see you play guitar as well, keyboards, don't they? Oh, yeah. Well, there is quite a bit of guitar on this album. Uh, that's you, is it? I mean, you're employing a guitarist. Yeah. Um, the only guitarist we used was Paul Pesco, and, and he, he was in, in, in my band before, and uh, he just played on one song, uh, which is Hearts on Fire. Um, the other guitar was uh, I, I played uh, on all, on all the rest of the album. I played the guitar. It's been a famous quote of yours over the years that you would much rather be known as a as a great musician. The fact is, you've you've been in the forefront for for some twenty five years now. It's like we talked about last time. I mean, in a way, what is the left to do when you've had a number one record at the age of fifteen? Um, yeah, well. There's quite a bit, I think, or else it's all downhill, you know. Uh, no, but, uh, I mean, um, you know, I, um, I think, you know, the important thing is, you know, I, I'm still ex get excited by, you know, by good music, and I still, you know, enjoy it. It's, I still get the same feeling, I think, you know, from, from a great song or a great piece of music as I did you know when I was 15 so I mean I probably I'm probably not uh, uh, I'm a bit more miserable now than I was then <laughs> I think no but I, I'd hate to have met you then <laughs> thanks <laughs> uh, no but uh, you know I'm uh, but it, it is um, it's quite uh, things have changed a lot uh, throughout the music business and the music scene but I mean um, I think you know I've accepted more the idea of um, you know of doing a performing and and and, and be, being a performer. I mean, uh, I think I should probably you know at some point in the future, you know, I've got two more albums for Virgin. And after that, I should probably concentrate a lot more on production, and I want to do a lot more production work with younger bands. You've been listening to the Way Back Then podcast with me, Tony Michaelides. Each week we delve into interviews from back in the day with rock stars or music industry icons from, again, way back then, who will share some great stories from their career. You've been listening to Steve Winwood today on the Way Back Then podcast, and now we'll join him again talking about his time from the 70s into the 80s. 
You uh, but survive is not the right word of the seventies. I mean, obviously you you'd had an enormous amount of success with uh, you know your solo projects at the latter end, straight into the eighties. But I mean, in a way, the eighties could be more exciting for Steve Winwood than the seventies. I mean, you are made for the area of of CD now, aren't you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the seventies for me was wasn't a good time. It was a hard time. Um, you know, uh, well, that's the kind of latter part of the seventies and. Uh, you backed off in in the three years of of the punk explosion and things, didn't you? Yeah, I did, but which you know is probably a sensible move <laughs> in retrospect. Uh, but, although you said backed off, I actually released an album in the thick of the punk explosion, which you know passed unnoticed, really. You know, no, um, but uh, and but also that was the first solo album I did as well, and that was in 1977 I had a hard time then and also um, you know I did I did a few projects I was doing working on other people's projects a few odd things I I uh, played with an African band and then I did um, uh, I played with a Latin band and then I I uh, played with a Japanese percussionist and I did all kinds of odd stuff but nothing of which was really lucrative and and um it was all around a hard time for me and 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 then i i made the album in in 1977 which really i only made it because you know the record company wanted product and i, I I don't think I was really that keen about making that album, you know, um, they wanted something from me and so I did it and I, I don't think I was, uh, I think I was probably more unhappy with that album than I had been for, for a while, but, you know, I did it and I think people can tell that, you know, you can hear it and, but, uh, although there were probably a couple of nice moments on it, but, um, but then after that, I thought, well, I'm going to have to, you know, pull all the stops out and do something now um, and uh, so I said about making Ark of a Diver which I decided I was going to do completely alone and didn't use an engineer or any musicians and and um, I you know it I was um, it was in the face of, of a lot of you know criticisms the uh, record company to come around and say you know listen we think you should really use an engineer you know and i said well no no i i do think i can manage this on my own and they'd kind of roll their eyes and say okay then you know and uh i think i think they kind of thought it was the end of my career i thought oh you know we've lost winwood now he's finally you know lost it you know and uh um really it was that it was a important turning point for me that album because if it hadn't have been a success then after after doing it like that I think I'd have probably been quite happy to give up music you know and think and turn to something else and or maybe I mean I'm, I'm not sure what maybe gone into A&R with the company record company or but I, I mean I would have known I would have felt happy doing it because I'd have known that I'd, I'd have given it I'd have done my very best on a on an album and it wouldn't have and it and it wasn't you know accepted so you know what more can you do you can just do your best and if people didn't buy it you know that would have been fine as it happened it did do well and 
you know, in many ways, that's a really big uh, personal triumph for me. The fact that that album did as well as it did, you know. Uh, also, at that that time, I didn't have any money, and so that came couldn't have come at a better time as well, uh, because as I say, I've been doing things which kind of paid a few bills, but um, I certainly had no money, and and I invested my money making that album, and uh, 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 what money I did have, and. Um, Although there were very little overheads, I didn't have any musicians to pay or engineers fees or session fees or uh, any producers points to pay. So, you know, consequently, when it was successful, it was, um, you know, it was, uh, I made, it It was a success for me. I did make something back on it. Very interesting that, that you talk about like 1977 and, producing, engineering, and playing everything. I mean, all the accolades that Prince gets nowadays for, for how he records, you were doing a decade ago. Mm, yeah, I guess so, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've, um, I, I did that on a couple of albums, and then, but then I, because in the, what happened is the, the uh, from 1980 onwards, especially between 80 and 85, um, a lot the the technology of recording and instruments uh, just kind of exploded um and it moved incredibly fast it's kind of leveled out a bit more now although it's still changing and moving a lot um, more sort of in the dance area i mean the hip hop and kids with machines making their own records now well i mean you the thing is like even though you're you know you're sort of a come from the 60s through the 70s into 80s you've always kept abreast with the technological advancement and used it to your own advantage haven't you yeah well i mean you know um using uh, yeah that's it i mean using the the technology that isn't doesn't necessarily mean that you know it ends up sounding like a hip-hop record you know what i mean but uh, yeah i certainly have done and um i mean i, I like to use technology to to, but I mean, I still like things to sound natural. But I mean, it's necessary to use the technology. Uh, but I mean, um, I did two albums like that where I did everything. But then I felt that I couldn't really concentrate fully because the technology was changing so much. I couldn't concentrate on the songs and the singing and the playing and and all the technology as well because it was changing so fast. And so I really had to get people um, to who who were good at programming, and and a good engineer, and um, you know, uh, uh, to to um, uh, work on the album, which which I did on um, back in the high life, you know, and also got a lot of players as well, um, and uh, it, it it enabled me to I think. The album sounded different. It sounded kind of a bit fresh, and I think that's what contributed a lot to its success. You know, as I say, that was the most successful album to date. I think this new album now is is very much a compromise between that. I mean, I've kind of gone back a bit to to doing a lot more. I mean, I played quite a, quite a few of the instruments on the album. I did the bass. I did the keyboards and the guitar except on one song uh, i played drums on one song and um you know and i produced it uh, like drums where you've got two percussionists and a drummer on the album 
Yeah, that's right. But well, yeah, I mean, the percussionist or the drummer weren't on the song I, I played on, which is Roll With It. Are you, um, are you, are you sort of looking with interest to see how the single's going to be received? I mean, do you think it, after, like, I suppose, in a way, the last thing the, the radio people, etc., heard might have been around Valerie off, off Chronicles and things. Are, are you sort of bothered about how it's going to be received, or do you see it as a taster for the album or what? It was probably um, for uh, uh, appeal to the CD crowd. And I've heard that CD crowd a lot. I mean, I don't know. So you've heard the CD crowd? Oh, CD crowd, is it? That's what it is. Uh, but, um, I mean, incidentally, a lot of this... You know, that are being uh, that will be released as singles will be severely edited inside out, which uh, and I'll do the editing. I mean, we you don't mind that, do you? Well, I mean, often, um, can they be edited? And often doing the full version, I'm, I'm thinking of where they can be edited and you know, what will sound good on the album, uh, uh, and for the, for the four minute version, how that can be done, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I can keep that in mind. Well, I'll keep it in mind too. That brings back some good memories. Great guy. Loved my time spent working with him when he did some promotional stuff on the road. That man, of course, was Steve Winwood. I would say that concludes the Steve Winwood interviews, but we do actually have some more. So over the next few weeks, you'll hear part three, which should be the final part of Steve Winwood. Till then, I'd like to tell you what comes up next week. But as yet, no idea. Way Back Then is part of Moments That Rock, where we dig deep into the archives, dust them down and deliver them. More archive interviews next week. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's off-track betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.